Welcome back to Lexi's Lounge, your home for mind, body, business, and marketing. I am so excited for today's show because you get to meet Ray, who is a lawyer for creatives and online business owners. Today, we're talking about how to protect your online business, the Haley Page scandal, and the craziest things that can be trademarked. So let's dive in. Well, hello, Ray. Welcome to Lexi's Lounge. Thank you, Lexi. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited. Been a fan of Lexi's Lounge since the launch, and I can't believe I'm here already. Oh my gosh. I don't even know why you weren't in my initial lineup. I was like scrolling on Instagram. I was like, what the heck? Why haven't I asked you to be on the podcast yet? So I'm really excited that you're here. And can you tell me what you're drinking today? Yeah, absolutely. Drinking some water right now, just because I have to keep the voice nice for the podcast, obviously, but also I'm a little sick right now in San Diego, but it gets cold here too. Got the turtleneck on trying to take care of myself so I could be good for the rest of the week. Yeah. Water's so important. A lot of people come to the lounge and drink water. Yesterday, if we did this podcast, I would have been drinking wine already. It's about 1 p.m. I haven't even put in my order yet. So I'm I'm going solo with no drink in the lounge. So I'm super excited to have you on here. And can you just really quickly give people a background of who you are and what the heck you even do and how important you are because you are... Thank you. No. Uh, well, I'm co-founder of Inflow Law Group. And Inflow Law Group is basically like a virtual law firm for online business owners and creative entrepreneurs. We handle everything from contracts to business formation and just giving people proactive legal advice and not reactive legal advice. Uh, we'd love to be there for people before the issue happens instead of being the person they call when something bad happens. So we're trying to rework the framework of how people work with lawyers and making it just more accessible and approachable to a lot of small business owners that never had access to lawyers before. So that's what we do. And it's been fun. It's been great. Definitely disrupting the legal industry as well. And just by the way we market ourselves and some of the offerings we, we have. So that's a little bit about Inflow in a nutshell. Did you guys get a lot of pushback when you started your business as an online virtual legal firm? Is it legal firm or law firm? What's the difference? (laughs) Both work. And there was pushback. But you know what? When we first decided to launch Inflow, it was about two years before we actually launched. So as you can imagine, there was no pandemic. COVID wasn't a thing. And when we started sharing that idea with other lawyers and fellow attorneys, the legal industry is not very tuned to like changing with the times. And we saw that happening already. We were noticing a lot of businesses were like going online, online shopping was happening, e-commerce, online service-based industries. And we, we wanted to be a part of that. But yeah, there was a lot of pushback from our own like colleagues. And because when we actually launched, it was already the pandemic and everyone was already online. People were already on Zoom. People already started, the great resignation happened. People were quitting their jobs, starting their own online businesses, following their passions and finding out how to contribute more. Because I think one thing the pandemic led us to ask ourselves is how can we make money, but also provide value to people in a way that makes us happy and live on our own terms. So we kind of met that at the perfect moment. So we were really lucky about that. Yeah, I think you guys are definitely spearheading that whole movement. I have never seen anything like it before, but I know that when I needed that coaching contract, I was like, I reached out to you guys and I was like, I need this. I want to invest in this because I don't want anything to come back and get burned. Like I need to cover my ass. So I'm super glad that I had you guys as a resource from the very beginning. So speaking of that, I want to dive into my first question for you. And 
as somebody who is pretty new to their online business, I'm less than two years in, what is one of the biggest mistakes that you are seeing online business owners making? Without a doubt, it has to do with contract. When I say contracts, I just mean having a set of clear expectations of what's happening in a transaction, right? What are you offering? And what is someone paying you? Or how are they paying you? Or what's the expectations on both sides, right? We mentioned contracts. People think, oh, paperwork, something that's very intimidating. It doesn't have to be. It's just a set of promises that we both are going to agree to. And online business owners always skip their contracts, whether that's a terms of use or an actual signed document. That's basically the biggest thing. And a lot of people rely on emails. They rely on Instagram DMs. Those aren't legally enforceable, unfortunately, and those will not protect you in the case of anything going wrong. So that's our number one mistake we see online business makers, business owners make. Oh my gosh. So if I said, listen, Ray, you're going to write me a contract for $500, sign on this line with a date. Is that enforceable by law? Yes. Yes. Oh, really? I'm sorry. I might've missed that part real quick. Uh, Can you ask that one more time? Okay. So if I was like, okay, Ray, you're going to make me a contract for, I'm going to pay you $500, but it's going to be my contract. So I'm going to write it. I'm going to type it out. And then I'm just going to write a line with a date and have you sign. That's enforceable by law. Yes, it actually is. Anyone can write a contract. I mean, it's just a document or just a set of terms. It doesn't even have to be Um, In writing, sometimes it actually could be verbal, but if you're trying to prove that, it gets hard, right? That's why the best way forward is to have a document listing out what those priorities are and then just sign to show that someone agreed to it. It doesn't have to technically be written by an attorney, even though it probably should, because an attorney knows exactly all the things that should be in a contract. But at the end of the day, if I say, hey, Lexi, I'm offering to paint your house and it's going to be $1,000 and you sign, that's a legally enforceable contract, although. There might be ways for you to invalidate that contract. There's multiple ways you can do that, right? You can say it's too broad. We need to describe how many walls you're painting, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it still could be a valid enforceable contract. Hmm. I would still rather have you write one because one of the things I thought was really interesting when you went through my contract with me is at the very, I think it's at the very bottom when it says, if you're going to go to court over this, And in the contract, you put it in your county. So people have to fly to you and go to court for you. And that's an interesting thing to get people to like not go to court because they don't want to like travel to you to go to court. I thought that was so interesting. Yes. Like anything to deter litigation, right? Anything to deter aggressive behavior. That's what we can throw into a contract. Anything to help make things foreseeable down the road and all routes of expectation, whether we want to, all the possibilities that can happen, we want to cover in the contract. So if anything happens, we have something to go to, you know, govern the situation, right? So if someone sues you, you put that the venue for the lawsuit will be in your own home state and your own home county. So it would be more of a burden for someone to try to sue you. And you also say, hey, if you're going to sue me, whoever loses is also going to pay the other side's attorney's fees. Another way to deter someone from being super aggressive and wanting to complain and go after you in a certain way. These are little like tactics to throw into contracts that a lot of people, if they're just going to write it up themselves, might miss. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, oops, I put that on my white piece of paper with my dotted line. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what, 
What's the difference between a contract in terms of use? Because I know when I'm purchasing things online and there's like the little text box and there's just a ton of these words and people like Apple, you always scroll through the terms of use. You never read it. I've never met one person who's read it. But what's the difference between a contract and a terms of use? Okay. Yeah. So a terms of use and a contract are basically the same thing. Terms of use is a fancy way of saying like e-contract. Now, terms of use, terms and conditions, terms of service, different websites and different businesses use these in different ways, right? So sometimes you go to a website that have a terms of use for their entire website. It's kind of the roadmap to you using their website, you using their app. Um, and then they might call a trend, like say you're buying a computer from Apple, they might say, oh, you agree to our terms and conditions of this purchase, which is more of like a contract for that purchase. So that gets a little confusing sometimes because there's no set vocabulary on what exactly is a terms of use as a policy document for your website versus a terms and conditions or terms of service or terms of even terms of use, right? These are all interchangeable in this, whatever a business is calling it, you just have to abide by that. But yeah, sometimes there's certain terms of use for a certain transaction of buying, um, a product online or booking a service. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the things that I want to touch on, this is more pop culture. And I think it's so interesting because I, it went viral either the end of last year or beginning of this year with Haley page, the wedding dress designer and how her company essentially took her name. Can you talk about what happened with that whole thing? Cause I find it so fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the crux of the issue with Haley Page's situation with JLM Couture, the business she was working for, was basically coming down to signing the rights away to her name when she didn't even know she was doing that. So there was a contract in place. Unfortunately, she didn't read it thoroughly enough or didn't have an attorney look over it. I mean, this goes into, once again, saying like anything could be in a contract, right? And if you agree to it, it's hard to say, it's hard to get out of it if you said, hey, I read it and I agreed to it. So basically what she did is she signed the rights to her name and she's a fashion designer. She used to design wedding gowns, especially in the fashion industry. A lot of your personal brand is so important to selling wedding dresses, right? The fashion industry in general, people want to buy clothes made by a certain fashion designer. And that was what Haley Page had. She had a strong personal brand and it was linked to her name, which was also her Instagram handle. And a lot of just so many followers were on her page and stuff like that, that when an issue and dispute came up with her and her employer, they split ways. But at the end of the day, they owned all the intellectual property rights to her name, including her Instagram handle. And any business that she could ever start, she couldn't use her name to do that, which is crazy. Because like I said, everyone knows her by her name. And now she goes by the girl without a name because she can't use it in her business or any future business ventures because she signed away that, those rights. And when I say those rights, I mean both the copyright rights and the trademark rights to her name, which sounds insane, that happens often. And it actually happens a lot in the fashion industry. So could she not have just changed her Instagram handle to something different and then let them create an Instagram account? Or did they take, because she had like a million followers. Yeah, that. so the their situation is a little sticky because if you look more into the case, they it was questionable of who actually started the account. It was in their contract saying that it was like a joint kind of part, like it was a joint venture Instagram account. They were saying like, hey, Haley, can you please start this Instagram 
page. And everything you create for us, you can post on there. And that will be it. And this happens often, right? Someone who doesn't have an Instagram page, but the business wants them to have an Instagram page, one of their employer, like employees, because you know they want to tap in to personal branding. And this is something you know about, Lexi, is it's like people that people don't want to buy from just corporate names. So buying from Haley Page sounds a lot better than buying from JLM Couture. They noticed this. So they were encouraging her to build a personal brand. Now, because they were saying, hey, we encourage you, our employee, to build this Instagram page, we actually have the right to that Instagram page, which a court eventually did agree with. So they basically locked her out of the account. To this day, they still there's a Haley Page Instagram account. It's ran by them. She has she's not any way <laughs> connected so to crazy. it at all. Yeah. So there's and there's actually a different fashion designer who's actually running the Haley Page like line of clothes or gowns for this business. So if that's odd, it is. If it sounds odd, it's because it is. <laughs> okay. So for anybody who's like, you know what? I am a multi-passionate person and I want to start a brand, but I want me to be the personal brand and then me have these different areas of my brand. So like, for example, if I was like, my personal brand is Alexi McKinley, but I also have Airbnb. I have my husband's company. I have Upwest Social. I have my podcast. I have all of these other things under my personal brand. What kind of advice would you give to somebody who's like, like that, who wants to do multiple things and then also has that personal brand to just be the umbrella for it? Yeah. I think it's just like taking the time to like sit down and understanding the structure behind it all. Right. Because like yourself, there's so many different ventures and so many different like businesses you're running is, um, start getting strategic about it. Right. Like, because if you don't, it might actually catch up to, to bite you in the end. Right. So having separate LLC sometimes is, is important because for example, if you have your marketing business under a certain LLC, as opposed to your Airbnb business, now they're two separate things as opposed to if it's all connected to Lexi McKinley and her brand, if someone was ever to sue you in one of your separate businesses, say someone was suing you for from your Airbnb business, right? If you didn't have a separate LLC for your Airbnb business, they can actually go after all the assets of all your other businesses or even your personal assets. So when you structure things, when a lot of people are saying, yes, it's possible to have one LLC, whether that's Alexi McKinley LLC, and then having an umbrella of services underneath that, right? Like we see brands do this all the time. But the difference between these brands is that they have separate LLCs for all these different businesses. That way, the assets and the liabilities are kept separate from each other. That the creditors of one business can't reach their paws into the aspects of the other, the other kind of ventures you're on. So, so it essentially puts it in a box. Like yes, okay, so yes. This Airbnb, separate bubbles. So you have to have pretty much have an LLC for every single branch of any kind of thing you want to do. And then, okay, so what about this? If I had an LLC for my Airbnb, Upwest, my husband's company, my podcast, all of these things, but I didn't have an LLC for myself, is that smart? That's smarter than just not having LLCs for anything, then the opposite, right? And so having one LLC for your personal brand and everything else underneath that without its own LLC, because your personal brand is more of like just your personal, it's just your personal name, your personal asset. We can talk about getting a trademark for your name and protecting so no one can take that from you, that personal branding of your name. 
But yeah, there's no need to have actually your own name as your own LLC. You could if you just wanted to basically have like a holding company, right? But we're getting technical and a little with like business structure, but it's all about how you plan. It depends on the risks um, you know, associated with each business venture. Some businesses are more risky than others. Your marketing business might not be as risky as your Airbnb business because one, you're hosting people. There's pretty big, some good money involved sometimes. There's liability issues as a, as a host sometimes with like what's put out there. If you left a dangerous condition on the property, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, you don't want to that, the risks of that business to apply to the income that you're making from other aspects and other businesses you have. So. so leading into that, what is the difference between a trademark and a copyright? Yes. Yeah, so trademarks and copyrights often confuse and trademarks are basically your brand identifiers. They're anything that's linked to a certain business for the sale of goods or services. These are your logos. These are names. These are slogans. In some cases, they're even more unique. Sometimes they're scent marks. Sometimes they are sound marks. What? Um, yeah, they can be marks. And, yes. How the hell do you trademark a? I mean, like, <laughs> what? I can't even order a perfume offline because I'm like, I don't know what it smells <laughs> like. If you're like, it's it's notes of roses and patchouli. I'm like, I still don't know what that smells like. It's so interesting to look at these trademarks because obviously they have to be described on these applications. But for example, Play-Doh has a scent mark to the scent of their product. They they describe it as like a musky vanilla, like sugary dough scent or something like that. It's very funny. But I mean, if you think about it, I don't know if you ever used Play-Doh when you're younger, but it, you can imagine what opening a can of, or I guess a container of Play-Doh smells like. And they took advantage of that. And they were like, you know what, if anyone else is going to have a similar toy or similar kind of substance like this, they're not going to be able to make it smell like this. So they got a set mark to it. Another interesting one that existed was Verizon had a scent mark for the scent of their stores. That smells like <laughs> heat. Yeah, I mean, I was, that was just mind-boggling to me, but apparently they were able to prove to the USPTO, who's not the very easiest to persuade um, for any type of trademark, they were able to persuade the USPTO to grant them a scent mark for the scent of their stores, which is also interesting. And that was more of like... A, they said they have like a flowery, musky scent as well. I never had that experience, but I guess yeah. it was enough to grant them a, a scent mark. But, you know, sound marks is, exist as well. Homer Simpson's duh, or I can't even do an impersonation of it, but I think you know what I'm talking about. They have a sound mark for that. They also have Darth Vader's breathing. That's sound mark for Star Wars and George Lucas. <laughs> what? So, yeah, so... We're going down a rabbit hole of all these trademarks. I can nerd out about it for days. But yeah, anything that could, if you hear or smell or see or just experience in any way, I guess, um, and it, you can relate that to a brand in your head, then yes, that can be trademarked. Whereas copyright protects your actual creative works. Copyrights will protect written works like poetry, novels, books, course material, and pictures, portraits, whatever it may be, any creative expression can be copyrighted. Now, can some things be copyrighted and trademarked at the same time? Yes. A logo can be both copyrighted and trademarked if that logo is associated with a brand that is selling a particular good or service. Wow. I should get my laugh trademarked. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> There's, like a, there's a really loud, like, 
at the end of it. So I think in a couple of years, I'm going to get my laugh trademarked. You know, and if it's linked to this podcast and people can associate that laugh to the services or your podcast, then boom, there you go. There it is. Very breathy. <laughs> <laughs> no, now I'm like, now I'm like watching myself do it and I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to like overthink it. Cause I, you're going to now listen for it. So I guess just listen for it. <laughs> I will. I'll point it out. No. So my last question for you is what is your biggest tip for somebody that is like, I want to start a business and put it on social media and I want to sell things on social media. What would you tell them? I would say just coming up with a little bit of strategy. And what I mean by that is just look at what's generating your income and ask to yourself, how can I protect that? Right. At the end of the day, your legal foundations protect your business or protect you. And if you find out that you have a signature offer that you think sounds really great, and you wanna protect that, a trademark will help you. Or if say you are planning on releasing an ebook or that's how you're making income is by the passive income from selling an ebook, get that copyrighted. It just comes down to actually thinking about the strategy of your own business. And it's hard to say like an overarching plan is for every business owner because everyone's different, right? Depending on your priorities, depending on how much capital you have. We tell our clients all the time, like let's, let's knock out some priorities first. Sometimes it might be LLC first. And other times it might be getting your name trademarked first. It just all depends on exactly what you have available to you. And also as a, from a capital or resource standpoint, but also from where you plan on going as well. So how can we you know, build out your brand better? How can we protect your personal assets? Because what you're doing is a little risky. So yeah, it just comes down to let's be a little strategic and adding strate- like strategy into your business plan and, and moving forward and trying to leverage legal um, to help with that. You know, a lot of times people think legal can be is scary, it's intimidating, but it's not. It's a tool, right? Copyrights, trademarks are tools to allow you to protect your brand and also build it, right? So having a trademark, for example, for your name or your business name can help you kick copycats off Instagram. They can help you kick off Amazon sellers that are trying to sell your branded products and things like that. So yeah. I think there's a lot of just education and that's what we try to do is to try to educate as much as we can about how you can use legal to your advantage. Yes. So I know you have one thing that I am super excited to join and that is your monthly legal tribe. So can you talk a little bit about that and anything else that you're offering? Because I think you provide so much value. And I know that there's going to be people on this podcast that are going to immediately run to your social media and your website and then be like, I need a legal consultation. I need to join this. No. Yeah, of course. Thank you for bringing that up. And that's actually one of the most exciting parts about, you know, being a founder at Inflow is just being able to work on our legal tribe membership. And that's, and why that is, is because no one else is really doing that. Basically it's our subscription model to legal services Traditionally, lawyers always worked on an hourly basis, meaning that anytime you ask them to email you or you jump on a phone call with them, every six-minute increment, they're charging you 0.1 hour, and their hourly rate is usually around $300. So call it like talking to someone for 15 minutes on the phone could actually chart like cost you about like $100 or so. And we just thought that was just like not sustainable, especially for the clientele we wanted to work with. So we were like, all right, how can we shake up this industry? We use flat fee projects as well. Sometimes if someone's just like, hey, we just want a contract. Can you draft this up for us? We can quote them a price and move forward from there. It's a little bit more foreseeable what how much it might cost them and things like that. 
But we wanted to do also do more than that. So that's why the Legal Tribe membership is so, so fun to work with, is because we can actually give people proactive advice. We can be their strategic partner and their lawyer, essentially, right? For only $80 a month, that's how much it costs to join their membership. And by doing that, we can, be, we can give our clients unlimited calls, right? They can schedule a call as much as they want to get legal advice, to get business advice, strategy advice, and whatever it may be. We also offer unlimited document reviews. So if someone sends them a contract and you're Haley Page, you want to make sure it's going to protect you and you're not selling, like, selling your rights away to your name, we can make sure, give you clarity on what exactly is in that contract and whether it's going to harm you or whether it's in your best interest. And then there's also a little aspects to it that we love just being able to connect our clients with each other. We get to connect. That's what we call it a tribe. It's just basically building a network of like-minded business owners who one, are can either collaborate with each other or two, just realize that they're not alone. A lot of our clients are solopreneurs and just being able to like bounce ideas off each other with other tribe members is something that they really value. So that's been our premier offer. And that's been something that we've been really happy and enjoyed building out so far. Yeah, I love it. And I know that I need to join that because I just, I think that the next time someone sends me a contract, I'm literally running to your website and signing up. Cause like I, the Haley page thing literally made me freak out. Cause I was like, that could happen to anybody. And I, yeah. I just, the, the terms of service with Apple, that's the perfect example of that. How we just scroll through Yeah. Whatever we could so easily miss those things. So I think that is really important. And I think that the model that you have is something that's just more realistic in this day and age, especially with people who are the solopreneurs, are the mompreneurs, which you give discounts for mothers. Yeah, that's a little broader than that too. It's it's just female founders. So it's just female anyone who yeah, anyone who um is like a woman entrepreneur, solopreneur includes moms as well. We give a 20% discount on our flat fee projects that we can do for them. My mom was a business owner, my sister was a business owner. We totally understand that the glass ceiling is still around, that there's certain obstacles for our female founders. So we try to do what we can and provide discounted legal services for our, you know, female entrepreneurs who we always say female founders will change the world or for the better. So <laughs> Gosh, that's one of the biggest reasons why I love you guys. So where can people <laughs> find you? I'm going to link it in the show notes, but you tell us. Yeah, absolutely. So people can find us on Instagram at inflow law group, and they can also find us on our website, www.iminflow.com. And they can also reach out to us via email at let's do this at iminflow.com as well. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today in the lounge. I think that yeah, you, you provided a shit ton of value within this 30 or so minute podcast. And I think that a lot of people are going to rethink their business models and foundations because I have. And I just thank you for coming on here and I know it's not legal advice technically, but providing some insight into what legal things you should be looking out for in your business. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Lexi, for having me in the lounge. Thank you for what you do. We always, we've been a follower for a while now and a lot of what we do and a lot of the inspiration we find comes from your contributions and the value you provide. So thank you so much. Yeah, happy to be here and happy to just share what we have to, to offer. So. 
Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for chilling in the lounge today. Don't forget to connect with us on social media, leave some love in the reviews, and subscribe to future episodes. Next week on the show, I'm talking about why you're holding yourself back and how to start showing up for yourself. This is something I've been really interested in lately, and I think the things I've learned are going to change your life as well. I'll see you then.